Williams at the tail back. They'll hand it off to Williams up the middle. 25. Cuts it inside. 30. 35. 40. There goes Cadillac. To the 50. To the 40. To the 30. To the 20. To the 15. 10. Go crazy, Cadillac. Go crazy. Touchdown. Welcome to the War Damn Podcast. Hey, welcome to the War Damn Podcast, your host, Evan Shanks. I'm joined today by the man, the myth, the legend, Charlie Five, 2018 Rivals fan, future cash champ, uh, kind of a staple on the bunker over at AuburnSports.com. How you doing, man? What's up, Evan, man? I appreciate you having me. This is uh, pretty cool. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, man. So, you, you and I talked a little bit before the game yesterday and decided to wait to record until today so we could talk a little Auburn basketball. Auburn goes to Waco, loses to Baylor 84-72. What are some of your kind of initial thoughts uh, as we watched a young team, you know, go to Waco and take on a Baylor team that, that has a real shot at, at a Final Four this year? Oh, yeah. Well, first of all, I was really hoping for a uh, – big upset on my birthday yesterday was my birthday that didn't happen but we did cover so that was a little sweet at the you know backdoor cover there at the end but you know um the game I want to say it kind of played out like I thought it would um Baylor reminds me a lot of the Auburn final four team uh they got a lot of uh guards that can a lot of guards that can shoot the ball and and score the basketball and uh, a lot like our team and you know they got the big guy the tall inside that can um he's not a huge offensive threat but he just affects the game makes big plays and uh um you know uh it was a little disappointing it kind of felt like our, our you know we kind of came out flat shooting the ball but uh other than that honestly Baylor's legit they're a good team, um, and they did some things that we kind of expected that they would do and, you know, kind of neutralize some of the stuff we do well. And, uh, you know, the score came out like it did. I was just glad we uh, covered by two points. <laughs> I think the the big thing when you look at Auburn's offense and the strides they've made since Sharif has come back, it's going to be interesting moving forward to see how teams defend him. You saw what Arkansas did to him uh, in the comeback win in Fayetteville where they just took the ball out of his hands. He crosses midcourt, and they're getting the ball out of his hands, and you saw the effect that that had on Auburn's half-court offense. Well, Baylor did something a little different, different yeah. and they allowed Sharif to get in the lane, and up until this point, when he gets into the paint and can start to make some of these passes that you see on Sports Center, Auburn's offense tends to flow as he's driving and kicking or, or dumping it down to the bigs. Baylor let him get there and just trusted that, hey, we'll let him get to the paint because he's not going to shoot the basketball. And they took, you know, he gets in the lane and because he has no intention, it doesn't seem, at least early on, when to shoot the ball at all. They're jumping in right. the passing lanes and putting a lot of pressure on the guys out on the wing. And I think you've seen some of these guys like Flanagan who have had a lot of really good looks off of Sharif getting getting into the paint. Those aren't good looks yesterday. Right. And so if Sharif doesn't become more consistent scoring the basketball, I think a lot of teams are going to be more content to let him get to where whatever point he wants to get to driving the basketball because they know he's going to kick it. 
Ryan, I know when uh, when you say things like uh, he's got to get more consistent scoring the basketball, and then you look and he scored 15 yesterday and he scored 28, people don't realize he shoots a ton of free throws. And a lot of his points come off of free throws um, and things like that. Uh, but as you know, to your point, he's he's got to become a more efficient shooter of the basketball. He's a he's a layup guy. He's a free throw guy. He doesn't shoot well from three. And I would almost, I honestly would rather see teams pressure him early, like kind of like the Arkansas, because I kind of feel like that's a whole lot easier to adjust than what Baylor did, which is sort of bait him into the lane, um, like you said, and then jump the passing lanes. And then what you what you're, what you see is you, you have guys like Flanagan now having to create their own offense. You see guys like uh, Jalen Williams having to create their own offense versus the uh, you know the flow g- jumping on Sharif and then that opens everything up you know opens up wide open threes opens up uh, stuff stuff down low I mean Auburn became one of the most efficient scorers in the paint in the country as soon as uh, uh, Sharif you know was, was deemed eligible and um, that's very concerning to see how easy it was for uh, the announcers to or Fran Fraschilla to be able to tell what Baylor was doing defensively early and we never really could figure out um how to get out of it so yeah i'm like you i'm a little bit anxious to see uh how things go moving forward um i still think he's an amazing he's amazing talent um we're so much better with him on the court but you got to have guys like jamal and planning and get out of these little shooting slumps that they've been in um they were combined three of 18 yesterday and uh that's just that's not going to get it done, uh, especially when you're playing uh, some of the better teams. So, I'm anxious to see us uh, get back into play. Uh, we got, you know, Georgia on Tuesday. I'll be there. Um, excited about that. Bounce back win at home and hopefully, you know, get us ready for the rest of the year. So, you talk, you talk about guys like Flanagan having to create their own looks. That's a lot of what we saw before Sharif came That's back, exactly right? He, yes. It's a – the offense wasn't efficient. It's a bunch of guys. You know, the half-court sets aren't clean. Guys trying to create their own shot. And, you know, they talked a lot about it on the Auburn Sports Broadcast yesterday because I had to switch from the TV broadcast to radio a little after halftime. And one of the right. things that they keep talking about is we're passing or we're shooting on the first pass. Mm-hmm. Guys yes. aren't, aren't trying to generate other looks. There's no ball movement. It's just stagnant, and it's like I said, that's a lot of what we saw before Sharif, you know, gets deemed eligible and comes back. And if teams can start to use some of the blueprints we've seen, because I agree with you, what Arkansas did to stop Sharif should have been a much easier adjustment than what Scott Drew and Baylor did. Right. Um, Because I tweeted about it probably 100 times during the Arkansas game. You're four on three in the half court immediately. There's an open guy somewhere. Find the guy that's open. And the the issue that I had in the Arkansas game is guys who are receiving that first touch off Sharif's hand once the double comes aren't looking to create their own shot. They're looking to get the ball back to Sharif. Well, he's being doubled. Right. So where – I agree. There, there's been some times where I thought that 
it was painfully obvious to see how teams were attacking Sharif and whether it's a lack of adjustments from a coaching standpoint or it's movement without the basketball, it's guys just not trying to get open. But something's got to give because, like I said, we've seen two different blueprints that were both effective in stopping Sharif. And the more film that these opposing teams, especially in the SEC, get on him, the more you're going to see these teams start to implement those schemes and, and attack Sharif and hope that guys like Flanagan and Jamal are, are off shooting that night, and then where does your offense come from? Right. You know, ball handlers, I feel like we're very short in ball handlers. Um, guys that can not necessarily run the point, but guys that you feel comfortable with when you break that double team uh, that can, can move with the basketball and create things without just having to you know, turn around and, and try to get the ball back to Sharif, you know, against Arkansas, we broke the press several times, the double team several times, and we get it to Thor, you know, at the top. And it just seemed like he was uncomfortable and he has really good handles. I, I mean, I, I would like him to be more aggressive handling the ball, but we just don't seem like we have, and that's from youth and whatnot, but we, we don't seem to have the confidence um, handling the ball outside of, you know, Sharif and kind of running the offense through anything other than Sharif when he's on the court. Like I told you, um, I was shocked to see that uh, Flanagan was actually a zero plus minus um, from the game yesterday. I mean, I would I felt like he had a you know a very poor game. He was three or fourteen from the field. He had five turnovers, uh, but and you know he had eleven points, but he also had uh, eight rebounds and six assists. So. Uh, you know, you got to have other guys. Um, you got to have other guys do it. You can't become too reliant on Sharif. That and you know, I think this game was big for Jalen Williams because yeah, he's sure. a he's a guy that over the course of the last month or so has gotten a lot of criticism. Sure. Um, and I think a game like that against a team like Baylor, where he can string together, you know, he has seventeen and eight. He's three of six from three. If he can build on that and get some confidence, I think Jalen Williams is a more than capable player, but I think a lot of what you've seen in his struggles is just a lack of confidence, and that's something sure. I think becomes you know almost contagious. So if that Bruce can get him back into the flow of things and they can build on this game, I think that it gives them another scoring option because Auburn's desperately going to need some guys to step up as we see the way that teams kind of change how they handle Sharif. Right. And Jalen is a sneaky, just stellar passer down low. Like he is, he, sh- he could have easily had five, six assists in that game. Just, you know, a couple Cardwell just wasn't ready for. Um, he, he's a guy that we really need um, to continue this, you know, this trend, you know, shooting seven to 10 from the field. Um, almost have had a double, double 17 and eight. Uh, but like I said, he, he probably had, he had, he had, um, no turnovers that were, uh, that were credited to him, but several turnovers that came off of guys that weren't just, just weren't ready for, for his passes. So, um, yeah, uh, you know, another thing you got to think about, um, you know, you talk about adjustments and whatnot, um, who's to say this is not sort of, you know, we don't really have a whole lot to play for except for pride, um, and, you know, just growth 
But, you know, who's to say that a lot of these, um, you know, this lack of adjustment is not just trying to let a young team grow together and, and learn how to, um, you know, try to figure it out so they're not just so reliant on, um, you know, so reliant on Bruce. You know, can they, can they figure out things? Can they, can they be tough when they need to be? So, you know, I try to take that into account a little bit as well. Um, I know it's frustrating sometimes when you're like, just call a timeout, like call a timeout and let's, you know, Baylor came out and hit their, like their first eight shots. And even the ref, even the announcer, uh, I think it was Fran was like, you know, here comes a timeout. And we, we didn't call a timeout. We just kept playing and kept playing. And um, some of that's Bruce's style. And then I just sometimes wonder if, you know, we're using this this year as a, you know, throw them in the fire, let's grow, let's get tough and, uh, and learn, learn a lot about ourselves you know, going into the next year. So, so that's something, you know, I've seen that in, in other places. And I think with a young team facing a postseason ban, you can, these guys can battle through adversity and learn to kind of figure things out on the fly and, you know, kind of put their feet to the fire. That's going to translate to next year. The the one thing that I'd be cautious of with that, though, is what we were kind of just talking about is guys' confidence levels. Sure, sure. You let that go, and you let them roll with it. And, you know, you talk about Baylor hitting their first eight shots after the half. Well, that game starts to kind of get away from them. Right. At, At what point is it does the lack of confidence that could present potentially result from losing a game, you know, at one point they're down 21. Right. At what point does that start to hurt their confidence? Because we still got a lot of basketball left to be played this year. That's true. That's true. But I'll give it to those guys. And it's something Bruce touched on in his post game. That last five or six minutes, those guys, those guys were getting after it, and it's yeah for sure to be able to get those guys get the energy level back up. You know, they start pressing and, and close the game out. I mean, even listening to the Auburn sports broadcast, they're down twelve with a minute left, and those guys are excited. Those guys are back into it, and right. I think that that resonates off the court because I mean, you're down twelve with a minute left. You're not winning. Right, but I exactly. think to, to be able to put something on the court at the end of the game to kind of build on that Bruce can go back and point to and say, hey, you know, this is the number one team in the country. And we have we saw what they were capable of, but look at how we finished. Right. And let's build on how we finish. Forget, you know, the first 10 minutes of the second half. Those are things that we can correct and we can work on. But let's build on this and let's finish out SEC play strong. Absolutely. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Moving on, man. Something I wanted to talk to you about, and, you know, we talk about Brian Harson a lot, and we've talked a lot of basketball to begin the podcast. Do you see any similarities in, I guess, the situation that, that Bruce inherited when he took the job as opposed to kind of where Brian Harson and the football program is? And there are obviously some differences I think that the football team is far more talented than the Auburn basketball team that Bruce inherited. I think there's a lot more left in the cupboard. But when you talk about Auburn basketball is dead in the water. And, you know, a lot of fans who watch every Saturday and are extremely passionate about football, 
you know, during basketball season, you may check the score to see if Auburn won, but that result didn't really matter. There weren't a ton right. of people within this fan base who were as passionate about basketball as they are about football. And I think you've seen Bruce kind of swing the pendulum a little bit to where Auburn football may always be king, but there are a lot of people within this fan base who are extremely passionate about basketball. You see the environment at Auburn Arena and that that drastic change from where we were when Bruce took over. You transition to football and you look at it and you say, you know, Auburn football is Auburn football. And it's why a majority of people become Auburn fans and support the program. There's just something special. There's a field Auburn football. But you talk about the last two seasons – and there's a lot of apathy. There's a lot of, hey, I'm not going to go to the games this season. I'll sit at home and watch on TV. Do you think that Brian Harson can follow the blueprint that Bruce has laid, you know, being an ambassador for the university and his program and getting him back on kind of a national stage? You think there's a lot that Brian Harson can learn from Bruce about how to, you know, how to bring this program back and inject some energy into it? Man, I would hope because you have, like you said, you have the blueprint there. And, you know, the, the records aren't similar, but the programs are very similar. Um, you, you can have uh, moments of, of the highest success. Nothing's ever sustainable. Um, you, you, um, you sort of I, – I try to think of the best way to describe this, but I just feel like Auburn sports up until Bruce are not really the, – the, the sports are run – almost like club teams or run like they were back in the eighties and nineties, uh, not really treated like the, you know, for just being frank, you know, fortune 500 companies that they are from a revenue standpoint. Um, you know, you did, there weren't things in place that, that you could use to help create that sustainability. Um, and, uh, you know, Bruce comes in and he's given the full reins and he puts the, um, you know, he puts his recruiting uh, plan together. He he energizes what is a um, extremely passionate but underutilized Auburn alumni base, from, especially from a donor standpoint. And you know, he's built this thing where it's just year in and year out. You're seeing some of the best names in recruiting that are interested in Auburn. You know, used to you could not pick up the phone and call a kid and say, hey, this is Auburn. Let's talk basketball. They just weren't interested. And now when Auburn calls or when you get an Auburn letter or you get an Auburn graphic tweet, it means something. And uh, I, I see a little bit of that already taking place with Brian and, and Coach Harson and what he's doing um, in the staff that he's building. And what I mean by that is, uh, you know, I live in Auburn and I'm not an insider by any means, but I'm not an outsider either. Um, you know, living in Auburn, you, you go to church with people, you go eat with people, you play golf with people and you, you get to know people, you know, that are a part of this, uh, a part of this program now. And this, this recruiting department that he's building, um, that is separate from the football department. They're, they're together, but it's its own separate operation. It's something that Auburn's never seen before. And you're going to see a lot more efficiency, I think, and from it and just the the ability 
to you know build success and sustain success. And I think that's something that he's done. And he got to the point at Boise where he couldn't really go any further, and they didn't want to go any further. So he looked at Auburn and said, that's a national brand right there. I'm going to go put what I know works in place there, and we're going to go do some special things. And I really do I do feel like that um, is a, you know, a, a similar situation to basketball from, from that aspect. The difference is I think we're pretty dang good. I think we have a pretty dang good roster going into next year. I think we got some good talent. Basketball had zero. It was starting from absolutely nothing. I think he can put the right pieces in place and we can have success, you know, pretty early on. And that's the big thing is, you know, you look at what Brian Harson inherits. He inherits Bo Nix, Tank Bigsby. There's a lot of young talent at receiver. There's a lot of young talent on that defense. And I, and I think you're right in the sense that if he can go out and once there's more clarity on the transfer portal and, and how those guys' eligibility will be affected, he really only needs a few pieces, and I think they can be competitive next year. There, there's no doubt that from a roster standpoint – Brian Harson inherits a much better situation than than Bruce did, but on the other end of that, because of where the standard was for Auburn basketball when Bruce took over, he got an extreme. He his leash was a mile long. It's true, and Very so true. you look at it, and you know, because he's building from the ground up, and there's there's not expectations that surrounded Auburn basketball. And then he takes it to the heights that it's at now. He's going to have a statue, yeah. like. But Brian Harson, because of where the expectations are for football, and you've already seen it with you know the 2021 recruiting class, people already have you know are at Brian Harson's neck over the 21 class, and it doesn't matter how many times you tell them, hey man, you know, 234 of the rivals 250 signed in December. This is right. He's trying to salvage a class that was lost. And, you know, you have the people who, who will chime in and say, oh, well, Boise's going to sign a better class than Auburn. That should give you hope that right. he's at a, well, a group of five school and is able to do what he did at Boise and built what he did. But I think Brian Harson, the biggest thing for Brian Harson, and it was a huge thing for Bruce, is changing the culture of a program not only within the locker room and within the program, but within the fan base to where, and that's not something that's going to happen overnight. So, well, here's another thing. When people say things like Boise is going to sign a better class than Auburn, it's, they don't, they don't understand how the ranking system works. Right. Boise may be ranked ahead of Auburn now, but it's because they probably have more commits than Auburn. I think we have 12. There's one, two, three, four, five, six. So, yeah, we have 12 commits. The way these rankings work is they take your top 20 commits and then they uh, you get an average score or whatever based off their position ranking, this, that, and the other, and then that spits out your ranking. You get points based off of that. Well, we only have 12 commits. So naturally, as we gain commits, which we will, uh, we're going to rise in the rankings. And I honestly would not be shocked to see this class end up a top 20 class um, with some of the guys that 
you know, we could look to close with. So, you know, I don't really take, I don't really take a whole lot of, uh, uh, credence to, uh, when I hear people say things like that, because I just don't think they really understand how the ranking system works. But, um, yeah, uh, there's part of me that is, I'm happy with what he's doing on the back end. I would, I would like to see just a tad more sense of urgency, um, from a, a portal standpoint. Um, you know, like you said, though, you don't really know how the waiver situation is going to work. You don't know if kids are going to be immediately eligible. So, you know, maybe he's he's kind of had to take his time a little bit more. But because – and the reason is because I don't think we're that far off from competing next year. You know, you get you, get you a good transfer running back that can, you know, share time, back up Tank's big, Tank Bigsby. You get you – try to get you the best offensive tackle or – you know, that's in the, you know, in the portal uh, that can come in and compete next year. You get you a, uh, a defensive tackle. I feel like we really need an interior guy. Um, somebody, you know, like, you know, th- I'm sure you've heard the name Latrell Bankston. I was mm-hmm. kind of shocked to see that, um, you know, Latrell Bankston was at Iowa State. Uh, Brian recruited him at G- in, out of junior college and, you know, everybody kind of thought it was a foregone conclusion. He was a Big 12 newcomer of, the, newcomer of the year last year at Iowa State. He goes in the portal and transfers to Houston. Um, I think he had a lot of interest in Auburn. And then, you know, I don't I don't know the whole situation, but, you know, I, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about where, yes, we're doing the right things on the back end, these building block pieces, getting our recruiting staff together, getting our coaching staff together. But, you know, I just don't – I mean, maybe I'm a homer. I just don't feel like we're that far off next year. So a little bit, I, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more sense, sense of urgency, especially on the um, the transfer portal and transfers and here, you know, this, that, and the other. But um, all in all, I think we're going to end up with a fairly decent class. And I told someone, you know, before Gus got fired because, you know, it's like, oh, you can't fire him because you'll lose the recruiting class. This year's recruiting class This is going to sound funny when I say it, but this recruiting class is probably the least important recruiting class that you could ever have, considering how last year of eligibility didn't count, essentially. Your freshmen are still freshmen. Your sophomores are still sophomores. Your juniors are still juniors, and your seniors are still seniors, the ones that you want to keep and the ones that stay. Look at T.D. Moultrie. Um, But but at the same time, you know, you – you got to keep reloading. You got to you keep moving. Um, I just think we're going to end up with a fairly decent class, and 2022 will be a big, big year. I think for Auburn recruiting. And and that's the thing is it's kind of like you talked about not understanding how recruiting rankings work, but I think that's just a snapshot of how where the standard is. And if you don't take a step back and look at what Brian Harson's done to build you know, a network and to, it's like you talked about those pieces on the back end and building that off field staff and the recruiting department and making sure that, Hey, we want to cast a wide net. We're not afraid to go to California or Washington or Arizona to land a guy that we think fits. Right. You have to have those guys behind the scenes that are evaluating talent, relaying that information and saying, Hey, you know, I, before Darren Usher got hired, um, I read a, a tweet from him when he was still at Boise 
and he it was a DM exchange with Tim Hightower, who if you've watched, you know, 2019 Boise tape, he's a speedster, yes. he's over the top. He, I, I don't remember the exact number. He caught double-digit touchdowns. It seemed like he was always open. His recruitment to Boise started because he sent a DM on Twitter to Darren Usher and sent his film and said, hey, you know, I'm a spring grad. I'm in JUCO. Here's my highlight tape. And you look at the production that that guy had. Having guys behind the scenes who can do that sort of thing for you is essential in recruiting. And you look at Alabama's off-field staff, and everybody kind of wants to compare Auburn Alabama. And we talked in the hiring process about, you know, there are guys out there who you can bring in who are going to try to emulate that and, and build it like Saban has built it. And I don't think Brian Harson is necessarily doing that by any means, but we finally have a coach who understands like, Hey, there are more pieces to this puzzle. If we want to build it to be where we need it to be. Right. And you know, a lot of people, you know, Gunnar Stockton commits to Georgia and, and it triggers the meltdown that we all kind of saw coming, but people are so, quick to say, oh, well, Auburn's offering three stars in the 21 class. Man, go get on Twitter and look at the kids who are who are tweeting offers, who are talking about Auburn. They're guys right. who are at the top of their positions in the 22 class. Exactly. They're, they're the number one offensive tackle or the number one offensive guard or the number three receiver or the number two quarter. Auburn and Brian Harson and the staff are attacking the 2022 class and what people don't seem to understand is when you talk about recruiting, and it's something Jacuri Brown said the other day in an interview, it's all about relationships. You right. start recruiting the 2021 class in 2018. Exactly. So it's hard when, especially with an early signing day now, to go out and with a month left, build relationships with the guys who are still on the board And I think if you look at it and you look at some of these offers and you see some of the names that are kind of generating some traction, these are guys that when you turn on the film don't look like three stars. And Auburn, and to your point about the 21 class, there isn't a camp cycle this past summer. There's not a ton of evaluation time. You have high school seasons that are staggered and all over the place. This was naturally a class where you were going to see guys fly under the radar because there just wasn't a time where a kid from a small town in Mississippi can be evaluated on a big stage. And the just the fact that Brian Harson and his staff and Derek Mason have gone out and identified these guys, I think is only a positive for the program moving forward. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I, I, you said a lot there uh, that I agree with. Um, you know, 2021 is just going to be a – just can't – you can't you can't put a value enough on how different it is with the early signing period and what's left. Um, and you really – I think you, it, you, it, may, it may be a reason why it takes so much longer to, to, to sort of see how things play out because – your new staff coming in and you have to about you have to really evaluate what's out there that's left so i'm not going i'm not going to um be uh just super 
doom and gloom about uh, this class um, because, like I said, it could be the least important class you'll, you could ever have in, in college football. But at the same time, I think we're going to get some really good players. I think we have some really good players that have already signed. And then 2022, you're seeing some of the top, you know, offensive tackles already talking about Auburn, which we've struggled recruiting. Um, we're in the conversation with some of the top running backs, top quarterbacks, uh, not with, you know, even without Gunnar Stockton. Um, uh, we're putting the pieces in place behind the scenes that I think we're going to be able to be a lot more efficient on the trail, a lot more effective which gives our coaches a lot more time to create those relationships instead of the coaches having to spend all the hours watching the film and checking transcripts and talking with teachers and, you know, making sure these guys are going to, you know, going to qualify all that's being done on the front end. So now it's just, Hey man, I'm coach. I'm coach Zach Etheridge. Let's get to know each other. You know, I'm not, I know all the, you know, I know all the ifs, ands, and buts beforehand. You know, you know what I'm saying? And that's just going to be, that's one of those building blocks that Auburn has always sorely needed. And uh, I'm excited to kind of see it take shape. Well, and that's the other thing is how much, when you put an off-field staff, like you've seen Brian Harson kind of start to assemble, I think you can kind of start to prioritize your class based on the information that that's coming that's readily available to you hey you know we can send an offer to you know five star offensive tackle out in Washington but hey we talked to that kid and he he seems like a USC lock so right why don't we you know we talked to this kid though who's the number 3 offensive tackle in the country he's a little closer to home and when we talked to him we felt like there was a lot of mutual interest. So why don't we prioritize this kid and dump some more resources into this kid because this is a battle that we think that we can go out and win. Right. What I've been told um, is that from this 22 moving forward, every position coach is going to have 25 qualified players that he's going to be responsible for in every single class per position. So – you know, I think I one class I can think of so much, or I guess you could say any class from an offensive tackle perspective, we have those two or three big targets, and then if we don't hit them, you know, I think of Martez Ivy, you know, and, and from, from uh, Florida that we tried to get, you know, with Chandler Cox. You know, once that falls through, you have no backup plan. Those days are gone. Those days are gone. Uh, our board uh, uh, rival, the bunker, freaked out yesterday because we offered a 22 running back 2022 running back out of a park crossing in montgomery he's a three-star everybody's like oh man you know i can't believe you know we're already off three stars i'm like well, my gosh guys now we have we're, we're mad that we actually have backup plans that we're recruiting from the beginning too so we don't get left out in the cold like come on guys there, there's there's a structure to this thing you can kind of see the the end goal and um i mean that to me is is ninety nine percent of the battle when it comes to recruiting is it's just being organized, just having having a, a legitimate plan, and then let your coaches spend their time with the relationships and spend their time selling Auburn instead of you know wasting so much time you know doing what they were doing prior. On that note, and it's something I've I've talked about on here 
Will Friend and Brad Bedell, you know, Brad Bedell's title may be tight end coach, and he will right. undoubtedly work with those guys. And I think you'll see Cornelius Williams work with those guys a lot as well in individuals and just helping them refine their route running. But you have two guys, one that Mike Bobo really trusts, who's shown he's an elite recruiter, and you have Brad Bedell, who's a guy that Brian Harson clearly trusts, that when you – I think it's clear we've prioritized the offensive line yes. because we have two guys on the staff that can have, you know, sort of a meeting of the minds, and Will Friend can be your elite recruiter and can go out and get your foot in the door with a lot of these four- and five-star tackles. But what happens when you get them on campus? Because, you know, there are a few people out there – when you look at what Tennessee was able to sign with Will Friend, who doubt his coaching acumen as far as the development of some of these guys, and nobody you know, in that conversation wants to talk about Tennessee's quarterback play, but let's say that's a concern for Brian Harson. Brad Bedell kind of changes the game for you because you have two guys now that the, you know, the CEO and your top general on offense both trust that when we get these guys on campus, when we start to win these recruiting battles and these kids start to develop, you know, when we start talking about the 2024 and 25 class, if you can get guys on campus who are having success and you can point to their development, I think you'll you'll only see those recruiting relationships get stronger and you'll see us more consistently in the conversation for some of these top guys. Absolutely. That I, I've been very intrigued by that um, that kind of one-two punch, so to speak, uh, on the offensive line. Um, and I think there's some talent on this offensive line already. And just having two two guys that um, I think Mike Bobo and Harson are so similar on on what they want to do with the offense that I don't really think I don't really see the philosophies of the offensive line coaches. And Bedell and Friend being very different either. So you basically have two minds looking at it from two different directions at all point in time and all points in time. And that to me, it can't be it can't hurt. It's gotta be it's gotta be something that's gonna be be huge. And I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised to see it be a trend moving forward for other schools, especially uh, if it if it yields success. But you got two two pretty solid elite coaches. Two, two solid offensive line coaches, and then now you have two elite quarterback coaches on the offensive side of the ball. Um, I mean, that's got to get you fired up, um, especially on that side where we've, where we've had a lot of the same struggles year in, year out. Now we have two, uh, basically two, four sets of eyes on each, each position. So uh, that's, that to me is exciting as well. And that's something I talked to Coach Pink on the podcast, uh, I think it was the day before yesterday. There's a lot of similarities on that on the defensive side of the ball on this staff with two former coordinators in in Jeff Schmetting and and Burt Watts, where even though they're coaching a specific position group, it's like me and him talked about, when you're in the spring or in fall camp and you're scrimmaging and you have all these eyes and you have so many coaches that – have done it at the highest level and have been coordinators, I think you can take a shot on younger up-and-coming guys like Zach Etheridge and Cornelius Williams 
because there are eyes always watching that have experience at all levels. Right. And Burt Watts can go to Zach Etheridge and say, hey, man, this corner, you know, was inside leverage and he, he was supposed to be outside or he's not getting out of his back pedal fast enough or, you know, Derek Mason can go to Nick Eason and say, hey, man, you know, he's supposed to be holding the edge on this or whatever the case is. And within this staff, you have so many guys who have so much experience that it only benefits you, especially when you look at Auburn's roster and you see how much of this talent that we're raving about are young guys who didn't lose a year of eligibility and can kind of be the building blocks for this program as you move forward and you change the culture and you start to recruit at a higher level because you've put yourself in a position to do so. And I think... Kind of like you alluded to at the very beginning when we're talking about Brian Harson and Bruce Pearl, there's a lot of talent on this roster, and I think when we get into spring and into summer, you're going to see a lot of names that maybe you were familiar with because you knew they were on the roster, or you followed their recruitment or whatever, that people start talking about because now that there's a new set of eyes on them, there's guys on the roster who are far more capable than maybe we thought they were or right. it was an evaluation that potentially was missed by the last staff. Exactly, exactly. Uh, you know, I admittedly would have liked, you know, when I first, you know, just first reaction, I would have liked to see a little bit more uh, pizzazz or flash on the recruiting trail uh, name-wise, but I think that's because of the way Auburn has recruited in the past. And it's always – we may sacrifice in coaching and development because we rely so heavily on these position coaches with their relationships to, to find kids, uh, identify players, this, that, and the other. Whereas now most of that work's going to be done on the front end. So you don't necessarily need all the connections. You just need guys that can sell that they're going to help kids get to the NFL and I think when you have three defensive coordinators on the staff uh, and you have basically uh, you have an NFL defensive line coach and then you have, um, you know, a DB coach that had a lot of success in the SEC and has just shot up the, uh, the coaching ranks. I think you're going to be able to not only find good players, not necessarily find because that's going to be found for you, but you're going to be able to sign good players and develop them because you're going to have coaches across the board that have coached at, you know, extremely high levels. And that to me is a, it's, it was at first I was like, Oh man, I really wish we had T Rob or I really wish we could have got, you know, Tosh LaPoy or I really wish we could have got, you know, kept T wheel or this, that, and the other, but you know, it all makes sense at the end, at the end of the day, it all makes sense what we're doing um, and the way he's structuring this thing. Um, And I think it's going to, uh, I think it's just going to pay dividends, man. You're doing it. You're, you're trying to build something sustainable instead of trying to, you know, piece together something for that one, one, you know, rocket success year. And then it's something that just fades off, you know, the very next year and you can't sustain it. So uh, I'm, I'm excited to see how it all plays out. Um, and uh, we'll just have to uh, be patient because it's going to be, I'm not really hoping we get spring. I really want to see, I really, I'm really hoping we get spring football. Um, 
I'm really anxious to see the development and whatnot that that takes place, you know, just in spring. And and I think when and, and it's like you said, right? There's Auburn has gone out and and had the namesake recruiters. <laughs> But at, at some point, and I think a lot of Brian Harson's hires are win-now hires. And I say that in the sense that he came in, you know, he comes in during bowl prep. He had a, a chance to watch the team prep for the bowl, play against Northwestern. You know that those evaluations almost immediately start, hey, what do we have on the roster? What holes do we need to fill? And where can we go to fill them? Who's available at the high school level that hasn't signed yet? Who are some guys in the portal? And as you start that, I think he he realized if we can get guys in here who can develop players, the recruiting will come because success on the field breeds success in recruiting. Because absolutely, I mean, winning absolutely cures most all. (laughs) But I mean, you look at it. And, you know, he hires Cornelius Williams from Troy, hires Zach Etheridge from Houston. But those are guys who, at their respective levels they're at now, are good recruiters. And, and I mean, recruiting at Troy with all the, you know, connections in Birmingham is huge for a program like that. But, you know, on the surface, you have a lot of guys who look at it and go, oh, man, we're hiring guys from Houston when T-Rob's out there or – we're hiring Cornelius Williams when guys like T. Martin or Damian Craig or whoever are out there, we need more bang for our buck on the staff. We need more names with national recognition. Right. And, but, I mean, you look at Dan Lanning, the defensive coordinator at Georgia. He was at Memphis before Georgia. You look at Pete Golding yep. at Alabama. He was at, you know, Texas San Antonio. Right. And one of the things I've harped on with the Brian Harson hire, and I think it's – when you coach at the group of five level and you have consistent success like he has, and you look at his coaching tree, you talk about Zach Hill at Arizona State, you talk about Mike Sanford at Minnesota, Andy Avalos, who's the new head coach at Boise. His his coaching tree is sprouting up all over the place. You know, right. Gerald Alexander with the Dolphins. His coaching tree is sprouting up all over the place, and a lot of, I think, what being a group of five coach forces you to sometimes do. You're not recruiting at the same out of the same pool that the Auburns and Georgias and Alabamas and LSUs are. You're not really hiring out of the same coaching pool either. Right. You know, we talk about no, SEC absolutely. retreads and, and guys who once you kind of get your foot in the door in the SEC tend to just bounce around. Mm-hmm. As a group of five head coach, you have to be able to identify young coaching talent because you're looking for that that next spark plug, that next up-and-comer who can help elevate your program while also taking the next step in their career. And you look at Brian Harson's coaching tree, he's done that his entire career. And right. he's consistently... You know, from the outside looking in, it looks like he's taking a shot on a young and maybe unproven guy. But, you know, five years later, that guy's an offensive coordinator at a Pac-12 school. So his ability to identify coaching talent and, and guys who mesh with what he wants to do, even when, you know, the hires are made from group of five schools and you start talking about Corn Williams or Zach Etheridge or whoever, 
or even the guys he brings with him from Boise, you have to trust what he's doing and what he's trying to build because it's apparent the guy knows what he's talking about and he has a knack for identifying coaching talent. And if he sat down with those guys and interviewed them and said, hey, I think this is the best fit for this program and what we want to do, I don't think we have any reason based on his resume to doubt that. Absolutely. Evan, let me ask you this. What is the difference in me or you thinking we know what coach needs to be hired from, you know, what we think we need this recruiter, we need that recruiter. What's any difference from uh, me and you believing that and the quote unquote powers that be forcing the coaches they think uh, on, on, on Gus or on Terry Bowden or on Tommy Tuberville? What's the difference? There, there's really no difference there. It's just one 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 group of people has the ability to make it actually happen, and you and I don't. But then uh, when the powers that be want to throw in a Kevin Steele, you know, we we back up and we're like, whoa, let's let let's let uh, Alan Green make his own decision. And then now we sit back and we watch Brian, and a lot of people are you know griping and moaning because we didn't keep T well or we didn't go get T Rob or all these guys. And I'm just sitting here thinking. What's the difference, man? There's no difference. Like, let's do something not Auburn for once. Let's let's bring in a guy that's never uh, that really doesn't have any ties. He's won a lot of games, and let him do something the way he wants to do it. Let's try that once and see what happens. And I think we're doing it. And I can't. I'm I'm excited that we're doing it, even if it doesn't work, because it just means that we're we're you know we want to kind of get out of the same old Auburn mindset. And uh, you know. I, I'm excited to see where it goes. Here's my take on that. If Brian Harson is successful and if he can sustain championship level football, and I'm not saying 2021, I think if he goes nine and three next year, we should parade next to tumors. Exactly. But if he builds a consistent contender in the SEC and in the national landscape, Alan Green and Brian Harson will have effectively turned the way that Auburn athletics conducts itself on its head. Absolutely. 100%. Because if Alan Green says, I'm going to go out, I'm going to make my hire, sit back and watch. And if Brian Harson is successful on the level that I think a lot of us think he can be, it completely changes the dynamic within the athletic department and the way that we do business. And that's only beneficial to Auburn in the long run. Right. No, absolutely. And then even if, uh, you know, heaven forbid that that success parlays into maybe an NFL job for Brian down the road, um, you've kind of shown that you can hire people and put them in the right place and then trust them to make the right decisions and moving forward, that's just only going to be something that that benefits Auburn in in the positive. It gets us out of this mind, this you know, this cyclical um, mindset that you know, as long as we can just you know get that AU out there, we're gonna you know get players and the, the stars are gonna align every you know five or six years, and we're gonna have a lot of fun, and then it's gonna be over again. I'm just I, I'm really hoping that. Um, this, this thinking outside the box is something that we can make a, 
a permanent thing. And, you know, Brian is able to build the, the single way that he knows how to have success. And, you know, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully it works. <laughs> and Alan Green, in my opinion, you know, there's a lot of talk about Northwestern or him potentially looking at another opportunity. If Brian Harson is successful and Alan Green is here to see it, Alan Green will be can stay at Auburn as long as he wants to. Oh yeah. And honestly, to your point, if Brian Harson in five years takes an NFL job because of the success he's had at Auburn, and you know that a guy like Alan Green is making your next hire and he's leading that charge, I think you and I would agree that you would feel a lot more confident about the candidate pool and the, the ultimate hire as opposed to Absolutely. this one where Gus gets fired and there's all sorts of smoke about Mario Cristobal or Billy Napier or whoever, and then it fades into we're stuck with Kevin Steele because that's what they want and that's what the right. powers that be have decided. And then it's a you know a random afternoon and – Hey, Brian Harson's the new head coach at Auburn. And, right. And everybody involved in the process says, you know what? Alan Green puts his foot down. He says, I'm going to get my guy. I'm going to make this hire. And I think as a, as a whole, the fan base has has been supportive of not only Alan Green, but Brian Harson. Mm, absolutely. And if I hope that he's here for the long term, and I hope that as maybe it starts to turn on its axis and some of the things change about how things are done within the athletics department. Alan Green, regardless of what happens moving forward, in my opinion, has solidified himself as an absolute game changer in the last forever at Auburn. You know, If, if nothing else, he had the guts to stand up to the um, he had guts to stand up against the system, and and that to me, no matter if it completely just explodes, is something that is very, I think, very important for Auburn moving forward as a football program. Something that uh, is going to just pay so many dividends down the road. I uh, uh, absolutely, and I think that if, if President Gooch is smart if we do have to to replace Alan Green because he decides to, you know, seek another job or, or do whatever the case is, I hope that those are the same qualities that we'll look for in a replacement because I, I think if, if you're one of those in behind closed doors meetings that supports, because you know that was the big thing in the coaching search, there's this conglomerate of boosters who want Alan Green to go make the hire, and they back his decision 110%, and then you have this outlier group that has had so much power for so long because of the amount of money that's involved with right. with their opinions. If you're looking at it from a full scope, those guys have to be happy with the way this went. If you're a booster who throughout this coaching search was on, you know, Team Alan Green and President Googe, I think there's a lot of momentum that's been generated that should a change have to be made because Alan Green seeks another opportunity. 
there are now enough voices in that room who can say, no, we don't want Tim Jackson. Let's conduct a national national search. Let's go find an athletic director because we've now identified the qualities we want in athletic director. And that's the, the direction we need to continue to go as an athletic department as a whole. Absolutely, man. That's just uh, something I never thought I'd see. It seemed like that the acronym JABA, just Auburn being Auburn, was always going to be Auburn's worst enemy. And, uh, you know, it's, it was good to see such a drastic change. And I'm hoping that it's going to be a change. I really do believe it's going to be a change for the better. All right, man. Well, <clears throat> we've talked for coming up on an hour, man. Um, so I'll let you get back to it. Any final thoughts for us? Uh, no, man. Just uh, you know, check me out on the Locked On Auburn podcast on Tuesdays with Zach Blackerby, and uh, um, we got some fun stuff coming down the pipe uh, there. And uh, I really enjoyed uh, this conversation, and I hope we can do it again soon. Absolutely, man. I'll get with you. Uh, after we get it live and we'll work out a, a, a day and a time to get you back on. Cause I think it's like we talked about before we went live. There's so much going on with Auburn athletics right now. You talk about the trajectory of the basketball program and where they're at and what Brian Harson's doing on the football side. I think there's just so much that you can dive into that, that like today you can sit and you can talk for an hour and you feel like you've barely scratched the surface uh, absolutely how well it feels like things are going on the planes absolutely man it does all right brother well i will uh i'll catch up with you tell them where they can follow you uh i know you're you're active on twitter now uh yeah and it's a lot at, of good uh, content the underscore charlie underscore five uh on twitter or you can uh find me uh come mix it up with us on the bunker uh auburnsports.com or on the uh, Auburn 247 site, uh, the body get aboard. Uh, come get dirty. Come get nasty. Let's 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 fight. Let's argue. We'll have a good time. All right, man. I appreciate you coming on, War Eagle. All right, War Eagle. That was the Charlie Five again. Uh, he's on the Locked On Auburn podcast with Zach Blackerby. He's extremely active on Twitter and, and, and the message boards, and he's a great follow. There's a lot of information there. Um, we talked about a lot today. We talked a little Auburn basketball. We talked a little Bruce Pearl, Brian Harson, kind of the trajectory of the football program. I urge you, and I, I said it when I was on with Coach Pink, the foundation is being laid for the program to m- finally meet the expectations that we all have. Have a little patience. Let's support these guys. And uh, we'll be live again. We'll probably try to get an episode out Monday. Um, we're going to spend some time with, with the family for the rest of the day before I go to work. I appreciate you guys listening. We almost hit 100 views on, on episode 5. I'd love to see some more interaction and some more things going on. If you listen to the podcast, go to my Twitter, WDEXShanks. We're doing a video a giveaway. We're going to give away an alt-live shirt to one of the listeners. Help support a good cause with Auburn basketball and kind of give back to you guys who have been listening and supporting since episode 1. This has been the Wardam Podcast. Thank you.